0: So we're in the th- we're the at the third class of the Rashkader Society course called Code to Joy. So um, I was on with Dina the first two. Um, I don't know if everybody that's here tonight was on both of the other ones. So I'll give you we'll, we'll just do a quick review, um, and that will help us um, jump into what we're talking about tonight. Mr. The first class was called Just Over Yonder, Finding Happiness in Life's Gifts. So the course is about finding happiness. And the key points from class number one were, um, I'll run through. It's easier to accomplish difficult tasks from a place of joy and enthusiasm. Joy drives our potential to flow outward. The word in Hebrew for simcha, the word besimcha, has the same Hebrew letters as this is my favorite. Has the ha- same Hebrew letters as the word machshava. Machshava is thought, and the the fact that the same letters make up the word thought and joy teach us that happiness is not a product of our um, material, what we've acquired, or um, our what we own and how much we've amassed and all of that the external stuff—but happiness is a product of our thought process our machshava and our attitude not as much our circumstances obviously circumstances will contribute but you can have an attitude and a thought process of finding joy whatever those circumstances are Um, material abundance and success does not necessarily lead to happiness because we may take it for granted and even if we don't take something, even, if, even when we don't take it for granted because we get something new that we have wanted or we've never had before, we do have, even if we have a spike in joy, um, then you get used to having whatever that, that is. And then you kind of start taking that for granted and then you need the next thing. So it's this never ending process of needing new things and more things and more whatever it is. So um, material abundance does not lead to happiness. Um, because it fades and it's never ending verbally taking talking about our blessed our blessings fosters happiness um because just putting it into words and putting it out there verbally helps it foster. when you don't express your gratitude then um that feeling can dissipate easier um and th- and therefore ritualizing gratitude allows us to find happiness in what we have And so Judaism has a lot of um, rituals for showing gratitude built in, Um, like saying Moda Ani in the morning, um, prayers, everyday prayers, Shabbat prayers, holiday prayers, um, many of the customs around holidays, um, blessings, every time you eat something, every time you eat something, you say a blessing. So all of those are ways that Judaism ritualizes gratitude so that you're constantly verbalizing your gratitude. And last of all, for that first class, the last and final point was that we ought not only to be grateful for our gifts, but for the fact that God loves us and cares for us, which is perhaps the, perhaps the greatest gift. So we're not talking about we have this and we have, we're have we blessed with this and we're blessed with this and hashtag blessed life. It doesn't matter what we do or don't have, but we are really ought to be most grateful for the fact that God loves us and takes care of us. Um, So that was class one about finding joy in in life the second class was called journey of yourself staying honest humble and happy and um the class was about while being honest with yourself and that means being honest about both your qualities and your shortcomings it was about being humble and how that humility can lead to joy because um, I'll just run through the points quickly. The way we perceive ourselves is crucial to our our well-being. Negative self-image obviously impedes our happiness. We were created with the purpose of partnering with God to make the world more godly, and each individual is indispensable. And that was really the point of the class, when you recognize that you are not your shortcomings or your qualities, but you really are, um, someone that God created to, accomplish to partner with him in his mission with his mission in making the world better and indispensable that brings a very positive self-image as well as a certain humility because it's not about you or your you know what's it's not about your positives or your negatives it's about um it's very empowering you're defined by being created in the image of god and um that humility of recognizing your calling is also is also what brings you that joy because when you focus on your on your on life's calling and you focus on your mission to partner with God and and change the world that's really going to give you the ultimate humility but also the ultimate joy um and that was lesson two which really is a springboard into lesson three tonight which is called um job opening you what am I here for We keep talking about life's mission and you're partnering with God in in finding your mission and accomplishing your mission and and all of that. And so tonight's class is about figuring out your own personal mission or your life mission or your personal, um, what what you're here to accomplish and how you go about figuring that out. Um, So I'll start with a story that um i loved i found i just i like read it and i was like wow i hope you will um have a similar reaction i'm interested in hearing your thoughts i will read it because on the topic of you know the topic of tonight's class is going to be about figuring out your strengths and weaknesses and following your strengths and your interests and and leading you to what your personal mission is not the best storyteller so i'll just read it because it's written very well a wealthy businessman and his coachman arrived in the city one Friday afternoon. The rich man was settled at the best hotel in town and the coachman went off to his humble lodgings. Both washed and dressed for Shabbat and then set out for the synagogue for the evening prayers. On their way to Shoal, on his way to shul, sorry, the businessman came across a large wagon that had swerved off the road and was stuck in a ditch. Rushing to help a fellow in need, the businessman climbed down into the ditch and began pushing and pulling at the wagon together with its hapless driver. But for all his finesse at handling the most challenging of business deals, when it came to extracting a wagon and a team of horses from a muddy ditch, our businessman was hopelessly out of his depth. After struggling for an hour in the knee-deep mud, he succeeded only in ruining his best suit of Shabbat clothes, amassing a most impressive collection of cuts and bruises and getting the wagon even more impossibly embedded in the mud. Finally, he dragged his limping body to the synagogue, arriving a scant minute before the start of Shabbat. Meanwhile, the coachman arrived early to the synagogue and sat down to recite some chapters of Psalms. At the synagogue, he found a group of wandering travelers and being blessed with a most generous nature, the coachman invited them all to share his Shabbat meal. When the synagogue sexton approached the poor and homeless to arrange meal placements for them with the town's householders, as is customary in Jewish communities, he received the same reply from them all. Thank you, but I already have been invited for the Shabbat meal. Unfortunately, however, the coachman's budget was hardly equal to his generous heart. It would be most difficult to believe that his dozen guests left the table with more than a shadow of a meal in their hungry stomachs. Thus, the coachman, with his 20 years of experience in pulling wagons out of mud holes, took it upon himself to feed a small army, while the wealthy businessman whose Shabbat meal leftovers could easily have fed every hungry man within a 10-mile radius floundered about in a ditch. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Avlobavitch, the previous Chabad Rebbe, told this story and explained its lesson. Every soul is entrusted with a mission unique to her alone and is granted the specific aptitudes, talents, and resources necessary to excel in her ordained role. One must take care not to become one of those lost souls who wander haplessly through life, trying their hand at every field of endeavor, except for what is truly and inherently their own. So I love that story um, because I feel like what we do sometimes is tell ourselves like, you know, maybe I should be pushing myself and and trying something different and and helping somebody, even though this isn't my area of talent, of, of expertise. And while sometimes that is true, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, the easiest and, and definitely where we should begin this process of trying to figure out our mission and what we're here to accomplish is by just accepting the fact that clue number one is the things that we're good at. And in this, in this story, each of them had really good intentions. Like the, the businessman that got into that muddy ditch and knew that he didn't really know how to help a, a wagon out of a muddy ditch was, was, had such good intentions. He was doing, really, he was doing a mitzvah. But, and then and, and the, the coachman who did not have the means to feed all the local travelers that needed a Shabbat meal was also doing a mitzvah. But they were, just about, they were both just a little misplaced because what should have happened was, you know, when the businessman walked by this coach, this wagon stuck in the mud and saw that it was stuck, he shouldn't have just kept walking and said, well, I don't know how to get a wagon out. So I'm just gonna keep going to shul, God forbid. But he also didn't know what to do when he got into the mud and tried to help him. So he wasn't that helpful. He could have been more helpful by just recognizing, having a little bit more self-awareness and saying, I'm not the right person to get in there with him, but I can go call the right person. I can go get the right person. I can even pay the right person. He should have gone to Shawl, got the coachman who knew how to get this wagon out of the mud, and then said, come, I need your help. And I'm even able to pay you for your time and your efforts and and helped in that way. And the same thing with the coachman, he should have said, you know, I, I wish I could feed you all. And I wish I could take, I wish I was able to take you all to my home. I can help you anytime you're stuck in a ditch, but I know where you should go to get a Shabbat meal. So the intervention and the help, you know, they both obviously were required to step in and help, but they kind of were doing what was intended for the other. So um, in, in looking at the story, the lesson that we can take is the importance of pursuing your own and, and in your, your own talents and your own skills and your own interests and your own passions when figuring out your life's mission. Um, that story is, was, it's in a student book. I'm going to put the um, PDF of the student textbook. I'm going to share a screen. I just wanted to tell it before everybody got to read it. But if you do want to look at it in your student book, if you have one, great, um, go ahead. It is Lesson 3, um, page 72 in the student book. I'm going to share my screen and um, put this PDF up. Okay. Um So this is the story that we just told. Um, I read it, so you're not, you, you don't need to read it over again. And um, before we go on. Okay, so does any, who does have the book? I um, Actually, can't see everybody once Does anybody have the book? I mean, no, we didn't get it. Okay, so I'm going to share the screen. Um, Also, don't mind after the class to share um, the PDF because it has some um, appendix and some extra notes. You will need a um, notepad and a pen or a composition book and a pen. There are some writing exercises and some Kabbalah personality um, tests so get, grab a drink, grab a glass of wine, grab a notepad and a pen. I'll give us a minute. Who's good ch- at at um, telling jokes? Like whose timing mm-hmm. and joke telling skills are are strong? I could tell a good joke. Who's who is that? Ariel. Who said that? Adira? Adira? Yeah. I yeah. Thanks. I need two volunteers. Joke tellers. Who's got anyone?
1: Can you open the door for a minute?
0: I
2: nominate Donna. <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> All
0: right. I'm just going to surprise somebody.
1: Can you just get me a piece or two of the plain white
3: paper in and the study and, and a pencil? I bet Mrs. Crone knows a good joke, don't you? But I'm not good at telling them. I need joke tellers. Yeah, I could tell a good joke. Well,
2: I bet you can. I always forget punchlines. I always forget parts of
3: jokes. Mm-hmm. So, I heard about a man who um, hears this hears noises in his farm in his uh, barn, and he calls the police to get some help because he knows that there's a thief or two in there, and the woman on call says, I'm sorry, but there's no one available for at least a couple of hours. And so he hangs up, waits about two minutes and calls him back and says, hey, eh, don't worry about it, I shot the guy myself. 90 seconds later, police, ambulance, fire truck are all up there and they're like, and they catch the, the, the criminal and the uh, sheriff says, I thought, you, I thought you shot this guy. And the guy says, no, I thought you said no one was available. thanks adira
0: all right i'm just opening um give me a second everybody's got their pen and okay let's continue all right okay text two let me go back to my screen share turned it off for a minute Can you see my screen? No. No? Now we can. no. Oh, now I. can. Yes. Now, now we, can. we can. OK, perfect. Okay, let me scroll down to the English part of this. OK. Um, the next text, before we read it, I'll give you some background. Um, there was a young man who moved with his family from Russia. Um, He was born in a Russian city, and then he moved with his family to America and they settled in Connecticut. This was um, Many, many years ago. It was at the beginning about uh, about 100 years ago, actually. So, I mean, this this, this gentleman's not alive anymore in in the story, but about he was born in the year 1913 and then he was Lived the first few years in a Russian city um, known as Coronets. And then he moved to America with his family to New Haven. He attended public school. Um, and then when he got older and he finished high school, he went to Yeshiva in Brooklyn. And then he went into his family's paper business. And um, in 1940, the previous Chabad Rebbe came from Russia, America, settled in New York. Um, and he recommended a match for this young man. And this young man wrote a letter to the Rebbe asking him this question that we're talking about in tonight's lesson, which is, you know, I'm about 30 years old, I'm getting married. How do I ensure that I am realizing the purpose for which I was created? Um, And the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe responded with a lengthy letter, and it's very relevant to each of us. And in this letter, he identifies 10 steps or 10 um, aspects of your life that lead you to figuring out or to writing your personal mission statement and figuring out your um, purpose in, in life and um, what we're gonna do together right now is go is take a look at a little uh, this piece of this letter that lists these 10 um, these 10 ideas and um, the Friedrich yeah. writes in this letter that it's on one hand, while we started off this class saying, you know, it's quite simple. Um, when we start, when we sit down and we say, okay, how am I going to figure out what my purpose in this world is, and we get a little overwhelmed. So the first, the first story was to teach us you don't have to look that far beyond what you're good at and what you're passionate about and what you're interested in doing. That's your starting point. Um, but the fated Reberato- so that's Not muted. Um, over here. You um, even though it's not that complicated it's also not that simple needs a bit of studying and and you know some focus and some intention and some all of that so it's not it's not it's you don't have to look if um i actually read one read something interesting sometimes we tell ourselves like figuring out our mission and figuring out our purpose has got to be complex and it's obviously you know we tell ourselves it's obviously not simple it's obviously not just what's right in front of us it's obviously not just what we're already doing it's got to be more complex than that and the reason when we do that what's where that's actually coming from is from our Yeter Hara it's coming from the voice inside of us it's trying to distract us and get us off the path because he knows this negative this voice inside our head knows that if that voice says, oh, it's got to it's be more complex than that, it's got to be more complicated than that, it's you know, obviously not right in front of you, then that knowledge will just lead us to paralysis. And that's what he's trying to do, he's trying to stop us. So when we start telling ourselves, well, it's got to be really complicated, then that's the yates or hurrah, that's our voice that's trying to get us off, um, off task. And it really isn't that complicated. Yet, at the same time, it also needs studying. It needs focus. And so the Friedrich Rebbe in this, in this letter, the previous Rebbe, lists 10 things and we're going to go through them now. Um, so, yes. text two, um, it is on the screen. I'll read. Um, let me try and see everybody so that we can get different voices. Um, Sherry, will you read text two, please? Sure. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. The story of our
1: lives is a book that requires study. This book ought to be the compass for how we go about life. The story of our lives consists of, one, the reason we were created, two, to whom we were born, three, the place of our birth, four, the time period of our birth, five, the type of education and guidance we received, six, the environment in which we grew up, seven, our talents. Oh, my God, I love it our inborn emotional disposition nine our characteristics and inclinations ten how divine providence guided us until the day we became independent and assumed a position in life these ten factors form the narratives of our individual lives and become a book that requires study these factors are supposed to guide which pathways we choose and how we behave whether in interpersonal relationships or our
0: relationship Thank you. Um, Okay, thanks, Sherry. Um, If you are not on mute, and you can mute yourself, that would be great. Um, I am able to mute everybody and allow you to unmute yourselves. Um, So I think I'm gonna do that. Yes. Okay, so I've muted everybody. Um, Just because there's some background noise, everybody is welcome to unmute themselves and please Share questions, answers, thoughts. Um, all right. So this, there's this 10 factors that the, free rec- the, the previous Rebbe is recommending that we use to figure out our purpose and our mission. And we're going to discuss each factor. It's a uh, fascinating text. Um, and again, just making a note that nothing here is rocket science. Um, the previous Chabad Rebbe is telling us that the signposts for our personal mission are, ba- are the basic aspects that make up our lives. And let's discuss each one. Okay. So, as we discuss them, because you don't have the um, student book, the exercise that follows looks like this. It's loading. Give the screen a, a minute. Um, It's actually not loading properly it has a um a chart and it should show two columns by each factor so oh, one column i think one column has the factor and one column next to it is going to be for all of us as we're doing this to fill out in what way do these factors play a role in your personal life so what you don't need this in front of you you can just make your own but as we go through each factor on your piece of paper next to you you'll write the the, number one the reason well we're going to start with number two because this whole this whole thing he tells will help us reach and understand the reason we were created but to whom we were born so we're going to write parents on your piece of paper and then as we're talking about parents you're going to write for yourself how in your own personal experience how your parents played a role in the direction that your life went or the influence that they had on you choosing the direction in life in, in life. And obviously parents are a huge factor. Um, parents shape our lives direction in a very big way. Um, they have a large influence on who we are and who we become. Um, in many cases we acquire their good traits and all the wonderful things that they taught us. As you are, dear, give me a second. In some cases, unfortunately, we might learn from our parents. Um, we might learn or take from them to avoid their shortcomings. That might that that might be the way that they influence our lives. But either way, they influence our lives. Again, either in the positive way that we want to emulate them and we want their good traits and their you know continue some of the things that they started to do and continue their business or their whatever charities and things like that or we might choose to avoid some of the choices and um, characteristics that they had but regardless they will influence our lives so for number one you'll write parents and then you'll write for yourself how your parents influence the direction of your life while you're doing that we'll take Adira's question
3: unmute honey go ahead okay so to whom we were born is problematic for me. You could say to whom, you know, to whom I was adopted or from whom I was adopted, but who you were, you know, you have this entire other thing going on of you've got your biological parents, one who you know zip about, the other one you know only so much about. And then so you I
0: would, would be then in the case of adoption if you knew your biological parents then i would just say pick which one you wanted for that one since you said you don't know you just right you just said you don't know much about them i would pick the i would write up the parent your parents that adopted you and raised you how they influenced you.
3: yeah but then you're saying as well as the idea of um the traits that you inherit well i don't i don't know if you can inherit traits from your adoptive parents i'm Assuming it's possible, but I don't know.
0: No, and actually,
3: you you know, for somebody who that does inherit traits, they could.
0: But I I, I don't if I, I don't think I use the word inherit. Um, I think it's more I'm talking about learned behaviors. So you might want to you know p- learn the, the good behaviors and avoid the negative behaviors. So I think it would work well for you using your parents that in this example, the parents that raised you. Um, again, if you knew about your biological parents and you there was something there that you wanted, you you just get an extra an extra um factor um okay number two place of birth so the community and again adira this is an interesting one for you but the community and the culture of your birth place um should influence your life that's what the the previous Rebbe is because this letter is written to this young man who was born in russia and grew up in america so the previous Rebbe was saying to him um, even though you grew up in, I mean, even though you grew up in America, don't forget that you were born in this Jewish shtetl in Russia, and there's something that you should take from there. And, and now some people were born and raised in the same place. And some foreigners like to, you know, kind of leave that all behind them. If they come, came from somewhere, um, third world or communist, sometimes, um, they want to leave that behind them. But the lesson here, and you know, take it in, which, in the best way you can, if you don't know where you were born or you don't know much about where you were born or you grew up in the same place you were born, obviously you need to make it personal for yourself. But is there something about the place of our birth? So we're not yet talking about the place of our being, of where we were raised, but the place of our birth. Is there something about the culture, the community, a practice, Something there that the fact that you were born there is God giving you a message that there's something from there that you should take that will shape your life. Um, So number two would be the way in which your place of birth influenced your life. Okay, number three, the the play, um, sorry, the time period of our birth. So that one kind of goes with number three. So you can put them together if you want, but um, we're all different ages. And um, what was going on? You know, were you born in the 60s? Were you born in the 70s? Were you born in the 80s? Were you born in the 50s? What was going on? or um, in that time period that might have influenced your life that's actually an interesting one I like that one okay the type of education and guidance so number five this one is um also, I think education is a huge influence on our life, um, we as children, especially didn't choose which school, or which type of school our parents chose it for us. You know, eventually, when we got older, the direction that our, that our education went, we had more of a choice in, but even the choices that we didn't make for ourselves, where we went to school, what, the education that we got at home. The education that we got in elementary school, the education that we got in high school, the education that we got in college, with um, or if we didn't go to college, the education that we got in yeshiva—all of these were are, are things that will guide us in in finding our life's mission. Um, so, for yourself, you can write down how the education, the type of education. That you got, and you get, you can choose. Where you know, whichever one feels most impactful, is the, is it the type of education that you got in your home that influenced and affected your direction in life the most? Was it school, high school, college? What part of your education influenced your life? Um, and I'll just tell you while you're writing some interesting things. Um, many times when the Rebbe was asked by people, was asked for guidance by people choosing their path in life. Rebbe's answer would relate often to their education. So when people came to the Rebbe and said, you know, um, I just finished college, help me figure out what to do with the rest of my life. A lot of times the Rebbe's advice was to continue on the path that they were already on in in their education. Um, And the two examples that I wanted to share was, one um, example was, a rabbi, his name was Rabbi, his name, well, actually he was a, a PhD um, professor from Harvard. His name was Dr. Yitzhak Block. Um, some of you have met or know that I have a brother that lives in um, Plano, not Plano, sorry, Frisco, Texas. And he runs the Chabad of Frisco, Texas. They've visited here. Um, they have three little boys and my sister-in-law's parents um, she grew up in Plano, Texas, and um, her parents run the Chabad of Plano, and her maiden name is Block. So her dad is Rabbi Block, and Rabbi and her grandfather was this Dr. Yitzhak Block, who was um, raised. parents were not religious. He was not religious when he was young. His parents' um, education was very important. He went to um, school, high school, college, and then he continued his education. Um, by with a master's program in Harvard, and he um, he discovered there was a I'm not sure it was a rabbi on campus or somehow he started to learn um, about Judaism and he was taken to the Rebbe. And at that point, he was a Ph.D. student at Harvard. And when he started to learn in yeshiva a little bit, or started to learn about Torah, he really, really wanted to leave the PhD program, leave Harvard and pursue, pursue his studies as a rabbi. And um, when he asked the Rebbe for permission to do this, the Rebbe said, absolutely not. And the Rebbe kept encouraging him um, to continue his studies and to get his PhD and to stay in that world of academics and to And the Rebbe told him, like, you'll accomplish your mission through that world of academia. And, you know, obviously, like, he wasn't happy at the beginning, but he did. He got his PhD, and he wrote papers, and he he wrote a lot of, you know, um, published papers, and he was like an Aristotle philosophy professor. Um, And he said himself that, you know, over the years, he saw again and again how he was able to accomplish so much through having his PhD and through through being a philosophy professor said just sometimes the fact that people would see this religious looking Jew and know his you know read his papers read his what was published read about his philosophy PhD that made such an impression on him and he also was you know was a big very involved in in writing a lot of books um about Judaism in English so he later understood why but That was, um, there was another rabbi, also Rabbi Hanoka, who had a similar story. Also, the rabbi told him, like, your mission is to stay in this, in this world. Continue what you've been doing. Don't walk away from it all, but just rather move forward and embrace how that's your life's mission. Um, That particular story, I'm going to, I think I want to share more details because it was so fascinating um, with Rabbi Block. I'm going to send out, after the class, I'll send out a link to the story with the details. Um, It's very cool. Um so that is education. So how does education, how does your education, how did your education influence the, um, the direction that you went. Um, okay. Um, what's after education environment, right? The environment in which we grew up. So we said before that the place, the place of your birth is important. And now we're talking about the place that you were raised or the environment and the culture where you were raised. So again, it may have been the same place that you were born and may not, but if you were raised in America or South Africa or Europe, that would be very different. They would be very different from each other um you know today we live in a world where the culture of the world that we live in today is to be open and vocal about who you are so two then that means that we should be open and vocal about our jewishness but you wouldn't be able to be open and vocal about being jewish if you were raised in communist russia so the environment in which we grew up is also going to influence who we the direction and who we are and who we become so how did the environment um, in which you grew up influence influence um who you became who the path and the direction that you went on if you grew up in you know if you've i'm sure you've all watched enough shows about like the insular hasidic communities if you grew up in an insular community that would affect your life if you grew up in less into our community that would be that would, you would probably have a different looking life um so that's the environment in which we grew up and we're going to move on to number seven eight and nine actually go a little bit less um pragmatic and more onto our personality so the next three um talents inborn emotional disposition and characteristics and inc- inclination are all about how our personality um plays into this so talents um, talents can be natural ability or a learned skill whichever one if God gives us a talent or if we if we nurture a talent then part of our mission in this world is to utilize that talent you're not supposed to like I'm really good at painting but maybe I'm supposed to be um, I'm really good at music maybe I'm supposed to be a doctor even though I you know really don't enjoy that so that's not What we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be going with our strengths and our talents. So, what are your talents, whether they're natural, whether they're nature or nurture, that you utilize, that you should utilize, that you do utilize in your life? And then the next two inborn emotional disposition and characteristics and inclinations. I'm just gonna put those two together for the moment and um, say that these two cover a very broad area of our personality. And so we're gonna break these two, we're gonna just put them together and call it personality and then break it down in the next part of our class. Cause we're gonna break down personality into the way that Kabbalah breaks down our personality. So hold off on seven, an eight and nine. And number 10 is how divine providence guided us until the day we became independent and assumed a position in life. So everything that happens, you know, not choices that we make, but places that we find ourselves, who we were raised by, people that we, you know, our friends, the, the, our classmates when we were children, um, the, our family's financial well-being those types of things in other words our personal history until we became independent adults how anything in any of those areas um people we met friends as children our families finances any part of your personal history of growing up that again, not a choice that you may necessarily, but more of like, you found, you you found yourself in a situation, God put you in that family, God gave you these, put you in, in this school with these friends, or God, your family had, had, the money that they had was nothing to do with you when you were growing up. So what were any of those circumstances that played into, um, that made you effective, the direction that you went with your life? And just while you finish off number 10, I'm, I'm sure we already read this, but I'll read it again. These 10 factors form the narratives of our individual lives and become a book that requires study. These factors are supposed to guide which pathways we choose and how we behave, whether in interpersonal relationships or our relationship with God. So you have your own little chart now, hold on to that. Save it, we're not done with our personality tests.
4: They are Yes,
0: yeah. Yes, right. Okay,
4: so um, I would say that since for the last 61 years <laughs> I've been teaching, that that was a God-given gift to me. I will say that um, I I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, but I was involved in so many Jewish organizations, and then as an adult, I went on to Start organizations and be president of them, even including my sisterhood, not too long ago. Um, But being in the Jewish world was never a question. Um, You know, I just I grew up in a Jewish home, and um, it just was natural for me. I had all Jewish friends. When I went to college, I was in a Jewish sorority, which I became president of, and my life just sort of went on from one to the other. And so my, my education was in, my uh, degree was in education and I got a degree in general studies as well as in Judaics and my choice was Judaics and that's what I've done and still doing um, for my life. <laughs>
0: So I just at once heard Simon Sinek, you know, Simon Sinek He said something awesome that stuck with me. Um, it was, he was speaking at a at a teacher's conference. So I'm also in education. So um, he, and, and someone asked him like, how do I know if this is my calling? And he was very really funny. The way he said it was very funny. He just said like, if you get up every morning and you 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 know take yourself to a job where you have to teach whether it's preschool kids or kindergarten kids or elementary kids or high school kids whatever it is you put yourself into that that position and then you do it again the next day and you do it again the next week. like you could be darn sure that that's your passion because otherwise you're not doing that <laughs> otherwise you realize very quickly that this is not you know so yes it's not and some days you're like you know this why why am I what am I doing why do I have this well, education is—it's a hard field. But he's like, if you find yourself doing it every day, he's like, you know, you. And that, and was really true. You know, he was talking then to teachers, but that's really true. For if if you're doing something every day and you're doing it mostly, you know, with a smile and and you you're passionate about it, it doesn't mean that every day is a good day. But you can be sure that you're doing what you're meant to um what you're meant to be doing. Um. I actually had an interesting experience which is a little bit sounds a little superficial but um I think it relates to this. I had my color palette done. So I don't know if anyone's ever done that but there's a few people that um they have they've studied um the different I forgot who's Dina's good at this and I, there was some lady um, I forgot, the, I forgot the lady whose name who like invented this concept, but there's everybody is either one of four seasons, and those are the colors that look good on them. And everybody's obviously variations of it because you can be a true winter and you can be a winter slash or whatever it is. Like everyone's got, but there's not a lot of people, and it's becoming there's more people that are training in this, but there weren't that many people trained in this. Um, so you go with you would go there, you would sit with them for a whole bunch of hours because they really wanted to get to know you and, you know, they would hold up, they hold up all these, like, they have all these swatches of fabric and they hold them up to your face and they you you pick up the, up the ones that look good on you and don't look good on you and you end up, like, after six hours, you you birth your palettes. And I found it so interesting because they're so professional and they've been doing it for so many years. I went to somebody who's been doing it for so many years and I ended up being a classic winter and I felt like she i bought I, I could have walked into the room and she barely noticed her stuff like she didn't just look at me and say you're clearly a winter she, we sat for hours and hours and hours and we birthed my palette and you never end up knowing what it's gonna what it's gonna be and it was so interesting for me to see that but the way that you do it is like she will you notice know, that you're doing like blues so she takes up this massive spread of swatches of blue fabric and The first question she asks is, "Which ones do you like? Which which of these blues are you drawn to? Are you, you know, and and some people pick up the pastels, and some people pick up the deep saturated blues. But the first the first clue of which direction to go is what you are actually drawn to. And sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes like, nope, you know, I picked up something. I'm wearing a I picked something with polka dots, and she was like, "Nope, polka dots are way too fun for you. You need to be much more like classic. But whatever." Sometimes you're wrong because you just like it's a trend or something, but your your color palette, the first clue for this professional is what you love and what you are drawn to. So I feel like it's the same thing with this. It. It's like the first clue in your life's mission and direction is what you love doing and what you're drawn to doing. And that's, even if you might, like, you may say, well, this is just one thing way to the next. You know, I was in school and then I was in this and then I was there and the next thing I was doing this, but really at any point you could have said like, I'm not, this is not what I want. So just the fact that you kept on moving along that path is enough to show you that that's what your calling truly, truly was and your soul was, was you know, fulfilled doing that. Um, okay, thank you. Let's get back on track. So now let's go back to, we're gonna, now we're gonna delve deeper into the two that we skipped, which were um, emotional disposition and characteristics, right? Uh, I got not go too far back. Okay, I, um, I believe it was. Email. So those um, are really what what we call our personality, and we are going to break it down. So who knows their Enneagram number? Who knows, like if they're a one, two, three, four. Has anyone done those? I don't see everybody. So let me just scroll through. Who knows what their number is? You can unmute and tell us if you know, and if you want, you can even tell us your number. But who's like into which Enneagram number they are? Anyone? All right. I can tell you what I am. (laughs) Who knows their Myers-Briggs type? This is Danielle.
1: I'm an Enneagram three.
0: Are you? Yes. Fun. Please have fun. Um, Okay, cool. So a lot of us, because we are like, Um, We often remain a mystery, even to ourselves. Um, Many of us take all these personality tests. Um, Many of us will take them when it comes to finding a job or finding a team within our job or finding a line of work or dating. Sometimes we just like, oh, I just need to figure myself out. And so we take these personality tests. Um, So in today's lesson about figuring out our life mission and all the factors that come together to help us figure out our life mission. Obviously, personality is a big factor. So we stand to gain from taking a personality test, but not the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs. We are going to look at Kabbalah for a personality test. Um, Enneagram, I think that defines nine personality types and then you can have like wings from the number before or the number after. The Myers-Briggs has 16. That has a four and four, that whole thing, that whole quadrant. So Kabbalah teaches us that God created the world through 10 sefirot, 10 traits. And I'm sure if you've done, if you've been learning with Ari, you probably know this better than me. But in Kabbalah, there's 10 sefirot, 10 traits of God. And he used those 10 traits to create the world. And since, as we said at the beginning of the class, we were created in the image of God. Our soul is comprised of these same 10 sephirot, these same 10 traits, and just like every single word in English is a different combination of the same 26 letters, or, and every single word in Hebrew is a different combination of the 22 letters, and the millions of colors are different combinations of the three primary colors. and. The millions of different compositions are different combinations of the same notes and music. The same thing is true with our souls. So we are all different combinations of these 10 sefirot, these 10 traits. And just a very quick Kabbalah lesson. When we refer to these 10, when we refer to God, we call them sefirot. We refer to these 10 traits in God we call them sefirot, the 10 sefirot. And when we refer to them in human beings, we call them kohot. And a koach is is actually means strengths. So 10 traits, 10 strengths, 10 characteristics, 10 sefirot, 10 kohot, all of those are the same 10. And that is what God, obviously God was completely infinite and beyond even this type of lim- limitations before he created the world, but then he had to, well, I'll, I'll put on a little video in a second, he had to contract himself and divide himself up into these 10 traits in order to create a world, and it's very capitalistic and up there, but because God chose these 10 character traits to create the world with, so he also created our souls with these same 10 traits, these 10 cohorts. I do have a quick video that actually explains this with some cute visuals. Give me a second. I'm going to pull it up.
5: Click
0: on the link. Oh, not that. Yeah. I'm going to reshare my screen in one and ten seconds. Just make it make sure I can open it large big enough. Okay, while it's opening, it is opening, but while it's opening, we'll just um okay. Back to this. So while the, the video is opening, I will let you know as soon as it's ready. But while that opens, we can start to look at this chart of the ten sefirot. The ten sefirot are divided into three intellectual traits and seven emotional traits. Let me just check if my video is ready. I think it might be. You see
5: it what does a painting a piano and the primordial pegs of creation have in
0: can you see it yes can you hear it
4: yes.
5: yes in common the human eye can detect about 10 million colors but what we are actually looking at is a tiny group of primary colors that combine in millions of variations of ratios that drench the universe in delightful and awesome visual coloring. A similar principle works for music. Innumerable melodies exist, which can be played on countless forms of instrument. But the wonder we are hearing can be stripped down to just a petite handful of primary musical notes. That's how God created the universe, with just a basic handful of spiritual elements that combine in myriads of ratios to form the splendid symphony of creation. God first created the mystical Sephirot, ten divine channels through which is infinite light to be condensed, contracted, and then released as individual attributes that could eventually give rise to a diversity of finite creations. Let us make man in our own image, said God, No sooner said than done, man was created in his Creator's image with his own internal set of ten attributes through which he operates. These ten spiritual attributes are reflected in the physical human anatomy. Let's go through them one by one. Sephira 1 Chokmah Chokmah is the initial seed of an idea, the flash of undeveloped inspiration. It enables us to be creative, spiritual, transcendent, Zephira 2, Bina. Bina is the development of ideas. It enables us to be logical, analytical, organized. Zephira 3, Dot. Dot allows us to focus on an idea so that it becomes relevant and personally meaningful. It enables us to be attentive, principled, involved. Zephira 4, Chesed is the power to love, share, and look kindly upon others. It enables us to be generous, optimistic, sociable. Safira 5, Gavrura, is the power of discipline and restraint. It enables us to be calculated, cautious, serious. Safira 6, Teferit, is the power to empathize and harmonize kindness with strictness based on the needs of others. It enables us to be balanced, empathetic, harmonious. Safira 7, Netzach, is the power of determination to overcome challenge. It enables us to be persistent, forceful, daring. Safira 8, Hod, is the power of humility, gratitude and submitting to a higher cause. It enables us to be thankful, devoted, accommodating. Sephira 9, Yesod, is the power to focus on others and to build genuine relationships. It enables us to be selfless, altruistic, loyal. And last, but not at all least, Safira 10, Malchut. Malchut has multiple functions. It is the power of speech and action, effective communication and leadership, and to be receptive to others. It enables us to be leading, communicating, achieving, so there you have it, the ten components of the human self, the internal mechanism upon which all intellect, emotion, and actions run. God used tens of Sephiroth to create his universe, and we use our ten Sephirot to shape our miniature universes.
0: Okay, we're gonna go over the SIPI road again together. And then what we're gonna do while we go over them is a little personality test and rate ourselves on each one from one through five. I'll explain in a minute but again. Um, and figure out which ones are the dominant strengths for us. And then once we look at the results, we'll be able to we'll try and figure out, you know, which how we're supposed to use those dominant strengths. In, in our day to day life. So let me reopen the PDF and share my screen again. All right, there we go. Okay. So the ten. The 10 Safi roads that God used to create the world, that we that are also what our stills are comprised of are listed right here. Gonna go through them one at a time. And um okay. So through these 10, through all 10, because we all have all 10, but different, like different recipes, different amounts of each one, different ones are dominant for all of us. Through that you know, very unique combination um, is the way that we perceive and interact with the world. So um, if, you, if you had the book, and I know you don't, but I just want to show you what we're getting to, after each safira, after each, or koah, after each one, is a little chart that looks like this. Chachmah, here it says Chachmah, and it tells you which are the um, traits in Chachmah and then you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 5 1 is very weak 2 somewhat weak 3 neutral or somewhat dominant and 5 very dominant um, for the sake of time as we go through each one instead of rating each of the, the breakdown within each one from 1 to 5 we're just going to rate the whole safira the whole trait so we're going to rate you're going to rate yourself for the khakhna which is made which you know, if you're strong in Chachma, you will be creative, intuitive, original, and spiritual, and you'll create yourself. You'll just give yourself an overall one through five for each of the ten. Thumbs up if you follow that, because it sounds a little confusing. So I'll I'll explain chokma again, and then on your piece of paper, you'll just write chokma, and you'll give yourself a one through five. One is weak, five is very dominant. Okay. Chachma is translated as chart. is translated as wisdom, but it is referring to wisdom in its undeveloped state, like a creative idea. When it's just an idea and not yet it hasn't yet been mapped out and fleshed out, that is chachma. Oh, it hasn't been mapped out, hasn't been fleshed out or implemented. Obviously, it's not implemented. But that is like a seed that can become a tree. As a seed, that is the that's an example for Chochmah. In human mind, Chochmah is the spark of creativity or a flash of insight that you will then go on to develop. So if you are strong in Chochmah, in the... Um, attribute of Chachma you will be strong in these four areas you will be very creative you'll be intuitive you'll be original and you will be spiritual so we're just going to lump for the sake of time we're going to lump those together into one instead of rating yourself so for creativity intuitivity is that a word originality spirituality give yourself a one two three four or five that is going to tell you if you are strong or weak in Chachma I'm going to stay there because I don't want to give away the next one. All right. The second one, number two, is called Bina, B I N A H at the end or no H at the end, whatever. It's a Hebrew word, so there's no right or wrong way. Bina is translated as understanding and comprehension. So if Chachma was the seed or the spark or the idea, Bina is the power to grow and develop. So in a human brain, human mind, Bina is the breakdown of that creative idea. It is the power to analyze and break an idea down into details. So if you are analytical, logical, organized, and studious, you are strong in FINA. If you're not, then that's not your dominant attribute. There's no right and wrong here. Everyone's going to be strong and weak in some. It's just going to help you understand the recipe of your soul and, and what to do with that. And then we'll talk about what to do with this information. So rate yourself from one through five, just on the overall. If you want to do this, if you're quick at writing and you want to rate each one, you're welcome to. Um, if you have the student book, you have the PDF, you can also do the more detailed breakdown. Otherwise, give yourself a one through five for the overall attribute of BINA, B-I-N-A-H, which is the strength of understanding, analyzing, and usually goes along with being organized in students. All right, number three is called DAAT, D-A-A-T. And that is the implementation of these two. So you, take, you took this idea or some, somebody doesn't even have to, obviously one person is not going to be strong in all of these things, but you might be strong in giving ideas or you may be strong in taking someone's idea and breaking it down into detail. Or you may be strong in taking all those details and then implementing a plan. So the implementation is that. It's taking this information that we have from the idea and the details and doing something about it, implementing. It's usually a different person. Usually the person like is the creative chief idea giver is not necessarily the one that's going to be able to implement it. People are strong in different areas. So are you strong in implementation? If you are, you, are, you will be decisive. Emotionally present, focused, and forging strong in forging strong connections. So rate yourself for that. Okay, so those, again, I said this before, but I'm gonna say it again, there's 10. Three of them are intellectual attributes and seven are emotional. So now we're gonna move into the emotional attributes, emotional strengths. The first emotional strength is called chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. Chesed is kindness. Chesed is love. Chesed is an inner desire to give and to share. Chesed is satisfied only by giving and sharing. Chesed has no restraints. Chesed has no boundaries. It has no discipline. It is give, 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 love, love, love. See everyone and everything in a positive light. So if you are strong in chesed, now this is, I I don't know, I would cross out extroverted, but whatever, unwrap this. Cheerful, generous, kind, loving, and optimistic. I don't know what extroverted has to do with it, sorry. take it up with the person who wrote this book. Um, Maybe you, I don't know. Likely that you'll be extroverted. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but you are optimistic, you're cheerful, you're kind, you're generous, you're loving. If you are strong, if chesed is a dominant trait for you, OK. The next one is called Gevura. Gevura, Gevurah, Gevurah, G-E-V-U-R-A-H, G-E-V-U-R-A-H. Gevurah gives us the opposite of chesed. Gevurah is discipline. OK, so it doesn't mean it's not the opposite of kindness in that you're unkind at all, but it's that the lack of boundaries and the lack of um Strength that comes with Chesed, Gavura is the opposite. So Gavura is discipline. It is very strong boundaries. Um, it's strong in respect. Um, where Chesed is boundaryless, Gavura is cautious. Gavura is calculated. It can even be withholding. So if you decide that a certain situation or a certain person is not deserving of your kindness, you are you have the strength to withhold. Um, a person that is strong with gavura, is cautious, critical, disciplined, frugal, perfectionist, purist. So rate yourself from one through five in gavura. Next, I'm just going to pull it up so you see the spelling. Tiferet. Tiferet is the beautiful and harmonious artful combination of chesed and gevurah in a healthy way. And, and obviously it's obvious, I think, that either that both chesed and gvura to an extreme is unhealthy. So oh, being overly kind and giving is unhealthy. You're just going to give too much of yourself. You're going to end up hurting yourself or your family. Um, gevurah, discipline, too much of discipline can also be unhealthy. Teferis is this perfect balance of the two and the way that we translate it actually is compassion. It's a healthy balance of chesed um, and gvura. And it's not really the translation, but ferret um, actually means beauty, but we can also call it compassion. You will be balanced, you will be compassionate, you'll be empathetic, you will be sensitive, you'll be very good listening at listening. So rate yourself on for Tiferet. I'll we'll run through the last few so I know it's getting late. Netzach. Netzach translates as victory. It is the person that is determined to succeed. So you will endure obstacles persist through ups and downs challenges adversity it is the person that is determined to succeed despite obstacles and therefore you are bold competitive consistent determined gritty and thrives on adversity that trait is called netzach we've got three more i know it's late i know you're tired hang in there hold H O D is um, associated with humility, patience, and gratefulness. So you can see in the word HOD comes from the word HODAA or MODE, TODA, gratitude, gratefulness. This person is the person that is dom- who has a dominant trait of HOD is patient, accommodating, devoted, grateful, and humble. One through five. I'm not looking at the chat box because I'm just trying to run through this. So I'm actually gonna peek at it, but oh you're putting the answers in here. Okay, got it. Um and you sewed second to last, you sewed means connection. This is a relationship-centric person. Okay, so if you are a relationship-centered person, you are Selfless, you're altruistic, you're relationship-based. Give yourself a one through five for your soul. And finally, we're at the last one called Malchut. Malchut translates as royalty, but it's the characteristic of leadership. So someone with a dominant Koach of Malchut will be strong at communication, action, and is a very is very receptive of other people's ideas, feedback, etc. They're a leader, a leader, a communicator. They're expressive, receptive, and an implementer. Um, and that is really malchur is the definition of of true and good leadership. Okay. So now that you have rated yourself, what you're going to do is not really a there's not really a way that you can add up the numbers, but what you can do is quickly look it over and just make a note for yourself which ones are your most dominant ones. You can give yourself like your top three. So which three you got closest? You got five or closest to five. You don't have to tell me. You can if you want to. So we're gonna conclude with what I want you to do with this information. And we just kind of have to wrap up a lot quicker than I want to do. But now that you have in front of you these 10 factors that influenced your life, and you have in front of you your dominant, your most dominant cohort, here's the exercise that I'm gonna leave you with because it takes, it's, It's in doing something with this information. Let me just get to it somewhere. Yeah, exercise 3.3. We're gonna conclude with that. Actually, I wanna read a quick text, sorry. Backtrack for one second. I am going to ask, Um, Laura, um, are you on? And oh no, I can't see. I can't see. I can't see everybody. All right, Danielle, can you read us, please? Text number five. I'm putting it up on the screen. God gives us.
1: Actually, a- in the car. I, I'm at are the airport, okay? so I can't. All right, Arriella, can I'm you read sorry. it?
0: No worries. No worries. You're gonna have to unmute yourself. Yeah. Did Hang you on. want me to read? Yeah. Okay. Um,
2: God gives a unique personality to each person, we all must pursue our mission in accordance with this personality, because it comprises our portion in the world. For example, if you are more cerebral utilize this trait for the study of Torah surely will, you will observe the other mitzvot and commit yourself to the Sorry, nothing to the mission shared by every Jew but you will be extra particular and passionate about Torah study because it comports with your personality. Keep going. Um, if If kindness is your personality, utilize this trait to love and care for others. This includes sharing the rich heritage of Judaism with Jews who never had the opportunity to learn about it. This doesn't mean that you won't study Torah or perform other mitzvot. It means that you ought to be particularly spirited about your caring for others given the unique capacity you have for this. If you are a pragmatic person who knows how to get things done, involve yourself in starting an organization and spare no effort to get it off the ground. Alternatively, an existing institution, a school may have a particular challenge that is um, inhibiting student performance. Can you solve it? perhaps you can alleviate the plight of the poor and homeless sure you will also study torah and develop emotional connections with others but place extra focus on getting things done
0: okay thank you and in conclusion what we have in front of us is the this these notes and this information about you know the 10 signposts that guide guide our life the 10 factors and the 10 Safi wrote and, the, and which ones are dominant for us. So what I want everybody to conclude with is just writing down for themselves, um, exercise 3.3, consider an area of your personality that is important to you and consider how you consider how you can use it at least once per day. So just write for yourself kind of a conclusion, like this is what I've discovered that I'm strong. You know, these are my areas of strength. And then if you can um, just take a moment to think about a way that you can use your strengths in your day-to-day. So whether it's in your home or with your family or in your job, or if it's in in an area of Judaism that you can perform a ritual mitzvah, like if your strength is in kindness, then, you know, how can you use that in in your day-to-day? Or how can you start to use that more? Obviously, if it's something that you're doing, I think we, what we wanna do here is challenge ourselves or push ourselves a little bit. So what is something that I discovered about myself tonight? And what is a way that I can start to use it, use that strength, or kind of start to explore that strength or explore that path in my, in my life? Um, I do wish that we had more time together so late. Um, if anybody has anything to share or to ask, um, please unmute yourselves. Um, there's a couple of things that I didn't get you that I'm going to send out an, an email and just share some resources and stories and videos that I wanted to share. But if anybody has anything to say, I have oh,
1: something. Please go ahead. So, what if someone is, you know, away? You know, goes through these. Ec- as a younger person or something or throughout life. Anyway, so you you try on your mission, you try to fulfill your mission, but as we've learned in many Torah classes, you can only be responsible for what you can do, but sometimes like life circumstances, you know, don't enable the you know, the execution. Like let's say you study in one particular field and then all of a sudden that market
0: disappears. So how does one So know, thank you. Great question. Um, Sam, I think it's important to mention, and I'm glad you asked that, that you, um, our missions are not necessarily, it's not necessarily if there's only one mission. We could have several throughout different stages of our life. We could have several at the same time. It could have been that your time in that field is now, you've accomplished your mission in that field. And the fact that it no longer exists is really a signpost that we're now moving in a different direction. So, Based on your age, your position, um, you know, with, when you're raising children versus when they've grown up and they're out of the house, or if you don't have children, those are all things that can change, um, and then your mission around that will also change. So it's not like there's just one constant mission. Thank you. Great question. Um, also, I want to add just also something that I wanted to mention that you just reminded me. There's, um, there's there are. Taps there are missions sometimes you know where it is counted is somewhat counterintuitive. So it might be that it isn't something that in um, speaks to your strength, so it is out of your comfort zone, but you find yourself there so that's when we spoke about those 10 factor the last one was divine providence. And the best example that I can give you is Queen Esther, she was not about being the Queen, but she. God put her there that was divine providence and she stepped up to the plate so that sometimes can also we do have to be open to that and it's a little bit of a different conversation that we've been having but I do want to put it out there that sometimes we find ourselves somewhere and it might be something that doesn't really speak to us but the fact that this is so bizarre but we are in this situation and there's an opportunity here for me to step up that might be our mission um Sometimes you choose your mission, sometimes you are chosen for a mission. Any questions or thoughts, insights? Adiwa.
3: Um, So the question is, like um, when we're given a situation like COVID where we do what we can with the powers we have and and our efforts seem to go to the blank abyss. to the blank abyss. Our efforts seem to be um, pointless. What do we do about that?
0: Um, so we all find ourselves in very difficult um, times. And um, I really would, if anybody wants to share some of the, um, self-talk or you know anything that they've that's helped them with whatever laughs thrown whatever changes and unasked for career changes and different things like that COVID has thrown at us if anyone has anything that has helped them um i'm sure there's a lot of wise people here that have some parting wisdom to share about how they've how they've gotten through this this time
1: Having class with uh, Rabbi Ari every day since March, except on Shabbat, of course, uh, has helped a lot. And, I'll him. You know, Adira, maybe you should
0: join us. That is true. It is true. That is, you know, staying anchored to Torah will definitely, definitely help. Yes. Thank you. That, I've tried and that.
3: that and that it's, teacher, it's right. um, I've also been finding Torah in places that are not just Torah, like I find it in film, I find it in in TV, but this mind, this thought inside my mind that when you think about how Hashem made the world for you and Hashem made you for the world, that's very nice, but then you look a hundred years from now, no one will even know of my existence. So all in all. Let's talk
0: more, you and I, okay? Thank you anyone anyone else with something to parting words before we say goodnight? night oh yes there is a Rabbi Ari asked asking to share that there is a bioethics jewish, bioethics jewish bioethics he says hi from behind the camera jewish but in his little hoodie and recovering slowly um jewish bioethics tomorrow night and with that is nine thirty-five. everybody needs their beauty rest so lila Tove. Great, great seeing you all tonight. Thank you all.
1: Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Love Thank a call. you.
0: I feel good. Thank you. You. Thank and I'm you. glad you're
1: all feeling better.
0: Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Good night. Thank you good, night.
4: Good, y- night. Yashikova. Yashikova. good
0: night.